Blessed be your name, Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for direction and utterance that we might speak those words that you would have the people to hear. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. You may be seated. Luke chapter 4. The Bible tells us that Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And from that point forward, the Holy Spirit came like a bird would fly down from heaven and landed on Jesus and remained there. So in Luke 4, verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, You surely will say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Isaiah. I'm sorry, the days of Elijah. Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when the great famine was throughout all the land. But under none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And when they, all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him up out of the city and led him to the brow of this, the hill whereon the city was built, that they might cast him headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Jesus is identifying that God has empowered him to preach, to teach, and to heal. But the people are deceived, have been deceived into thinking that they have information that would disqualify Jesus from being the Messiah. When Jesus says, this day is the, are these scriptures fulfilled in your ears, he's saying the scriptures that he read that everybody knows are connected to and uh, associated with 
the Messiah. So he's basically saying, I am the Messiah, the Christ. There have been numerous miracles and healings and great things taking place in other towns in that area. Capernaum is mentioned. But even the report of the miracle working power of God that's been on display in nearby places. They still think their information supersedes what the Messiah is telling them. Now, if it was God's will to bring healing and miracles to the city of Nazareth, they detour God's will from taking place. Mark chapter 6, verse 5, in Mark's account of it, it says, and he could there do no mighty work. It doesn't say that he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. He could there do no mighty work, save he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them. And he went around about their villages, teaching in the synagogues. Now, most people are of the opinion, I'm talking about church people. Most church people are of the opinion that if God's will is for, or whatever God's will is, will be carried out and man can't stop his will from coming to pass. But that's entirely opposite of what the Bible says took place in Jesus' ministry. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, when it's talking to us about putting on the armor of God, it tells us that the road the devil travels is the road of deception. Now, usually I think we think of deception as this big thing where if somebody's deceived, they're wrong about everything and so forth. But there was only one thing the city of Nazareth missed out on the blessing of God, the will of God, and the display of God's power because they had one thought that the devil had brought to them. And they let it take place, a place of priority over God's word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Verse 2, But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
Nazareth missed out on the blessing of God, the will of God, the miracles of God, because they allowed themselves to be deceived. And the deception that the devil brought had something to do with his family history. They identified that they know his father. And that could be an implication or an indication that whatever they think about the Messiah or whatever is prophesied about the Messiah couldn't apply to Jesus because they knew his family. It was certainly not a secret that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. But they identify their thinking, their wrong thinking, their deceptive thinking had to do with that they knew his father. He was Joseph's son. And that one thought, just one simple thought about Jesus' family history prevented them from experiencing the will of God for their, their city. Notice the weapons of our warfare have to do with the mind. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. This word strongholds means a fortress. So deception starts with a simple thought, a wrong thought. But then that wrong thought is added to the word imaginations is the word reasonings. On one occasion, Jesus told the Pharisees that they make the word of God of none effect by their traditions. And that word traditions is the same word imaginations or reasonings. The lives of these people in the city of Nazareth was completely, shockingly diverted from receiving the power of God. But now Paul is telling us the principle of how these things work. Notice the spiritual weapons has to do with the mind casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought into captivity. If they had, they in, the people in Nazareth had been willing to just put their wrong thoughts on the shelf, instead of taking a position that they are completely against receiving the truth that Jesus is the Christ, then they could have walked in the blessing of God. Your spiritual weapons are identified as the power of the mind. 
casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You remember in Mark chapter 4, Jesus taught the parable of the sower sowing the word. He gave some tremendous, tremendously important information, literal truth. He said that the only way that the that people could produce the will of God in their lives and receive the will of God in their lives would be to put the word first in their lives and not be distracted by the affairs of this life, to not be distracted and keep from the word of God from being the most important thing. Jesus said that if you didn't know this parable, the parable of the swords, knowing the word, you couldn't know other parables because it's, it's man's way of exercising authority in the earth. It's man's way of experiencing what God has for us and the power of God toward us by putting his word and keeping his word first place in your life. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now we've also looked at some things over the last few weeks about what miracles took place in Capernaum that, they've, that the people in Nazareth would hear about. Mark chapter 1, verse 21, and they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine. Notice they weren't astonished at Jesus. They were astonished at his doctrine, his teaching. They were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. This phrase, as one that had authority, literally means how to hold authority instead of the way that the scribes taught. Now, the teaching of the scribes has to do with what we experience some in our lives as well. They simply taught that if it was God's will for something to happen, it would happen no matter what, that man had no say-so in these things. It goes on to say in verse 23, and there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know who thee, I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine, new teaching is this? For with authority commanded he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. If we skip down a little bit, it tells us about how he healed Peter's mother-in-law 
And the, the result of that is in verse 32, and at evening when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. The whole city turned upside down. The whole city gathered together where Jesus was. Now Jesus didn't do or say anything different in Capernaum than he had said in Nazareth. The people in Capernaum didn't have some kind of advantage for what God wanted for them. He wants the same for everyone. He's an over-respecter of person. But the wrong thought, one simple wrong thought that the people of Nazareth held to kept the power, from, the power of God from healing the sick in their city. It kept the miracle working power of God from being displayed one wrong thought. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that the devil travels one road. The only road that he travels is the road of deception. One small lie. That is not taken captive but accepted to be more important than the word of God. One's run wrong thought can stop the power of God from accomplishing what God desires for it to do. We have seen in the scripture that there's a pattern that takes place as far as how the people respond to Jesus and his ministry. Luke chapter 6, verse 6, And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And he looking round about upon them all, he said to the man, stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Now you've got what we would certainly consider to, to be a stronghold that takes place in Luke chapter 6. Jesus spoke the truth. And because they were unwilling 
to accept the truth or to even consider that what Jesus was saying was truth. They wouldn't even examine it. But rather, they were filled with madness and began to talk about how to get rid of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, after Jesus talks about the authority of man by building his house on the rock, the truth of the word, rather than the sand. Matthew 7, 28, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Again, they were astonished at his teaching. Not just him. But the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as described. This is almost a, an exact duplication of what we saw previously. He taught them how to hold authority and not as describes. Something that I was unsure of and really bothered by for many years was that Jesus would send his disciples to preach about Jesus and his ministry. because they knew so little about what we would consider to be basic foundational scriptures or principles. How is it that Jesus would be able to trust his disciples to tell people the truth We know that Jesus commanded his disciples not to tell people that he was the Christ or the Son of God. Well, if they weren't going to tell about Jesus, what is there for them to say? But I found the answer. Luke chapter 8, verse 1, and it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. Jesus talked to the people and taught the people the will of God. He proclaimed to them the will of God for their lives. And the disciples heard what he had to say. And it provided them, equipped them with the ability to take authority over the devil. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, 
Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and, and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The kingdom of God that they preach is the will of God for your life here on the earth just as it is in heaven. You remember when Jesus was asked by his disciples, they asked him to teach, teach them to pray. We got what's called the Lord's Prayer, but it was really the disciples' prayer. And he defines the kingdom of God Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Within the kingdom of God is where the will of God is done in your life here on the earth just as it is in heaven. We don't have a whole lot of questions about heaven. It's not that we know so much about it. It's that we accept that there's no sin, there's nothing to hurt man in any way whatsoever. We know there are streets of gold, which means there's no lack and no poverty associated with God's will. There's no sickness in heaven. God doesn't change. He's always the same. And so what God wants for you in heaven and what he's provided for you in heaven has to line up to be the same thing that he wants for you here on the earth. Luke chapter 10 tells us After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place wheresoever he would, himself would come. And he gives them some instruction in verse 8. And into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Folks, if there is anything any specific one thing that we can know for sure that is part of the kingdom of God, it's healing of the physical body. He tells the disciples in verse 8, don't be a high, don't be difficult to please or looking for different things. Or don't be a high maintenance minister and heal the sick that are therein. Now the only requirement he makes for this is for the city to receive you. Now what does that mean? Does that mean they believed every word that they heard? Not necessarily. Does it mean that 
They had to change everything that they knew about God and accept something new. They were used to prophets being the healing arms of heaven. Heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. And when they come back in verse 17, the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Now, if you look at the rest of the instructions he gave, he didn't say one word about casting out devils. We know that they had seen him cast out devils, but he didn't make any mention of doing that. But the disciples... The 70 found out the devils were subject to, to them through the name of Jesus. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power, literally authority, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power or ability of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me and my Father, of my Father. And no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. So Jesus taught a doctrine of authority. They would certainly recognize by the works of Jesus, the healing works and delivering works of Jesus, they would certainly recognize the way that Jesus would cast the devil out of people. But it was when they put it in practice for themselves as ignorant men, as men that had no training whatsoever in preaching or teaching or healing the sick, this doctrine, this new doctrine that Jesus brings to them and teaches them becomes life-changing and city-altering. Now, I want you to look with me to Matthew chapter 9. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came to his own city. And behold, they brought unto him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their face, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now, Luke gives us an account, Luke chapter 5 gives us an account of this same story or this occurrence. And it says that they were packed so tightly in, the, in a house that there was no room to bring anybody else in. But Luke tells us also that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. He's been teaching them for some period of time. 
And the power of God is there to, to heal the sick, which indicates there were, there were some other sick people in the house. But Luke tells us that when they couldn't find a way to bring this guy in, the man they're carrying on the bed, they went up to the rooftop and broke up the roof and let him down in front of Jesus. And Jesus said unto them, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes say within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. Then he said to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thy house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Now, folks, notice that last phrase. We see, and it looks at several of the scriptures where the people are astonished at his doctrine. Because he teaches how to hold authority, how to use authority, the exercise of authority. But this one is a little different. The multitude saw it and marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. It states clearly that the authority that Jesus taught was that man had authority. Not just him because he's the son of God. That was a message that he really stayed away from for most of his earthly ministry. But this doctrine that he's been teaching to them before the, the guy on the bed was let down in the middle of the crowd says that man was given that authority. Folks, Jesus spent most of his earthly ministry teaching the very simple truth that we know so well in, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness and let him have authority over the works of our hands. Man has been given authority. He certainly, there's certainly a long period of time in the history, throughout the history of the world that authority was not known or received. But Jesus is teaching that man has authority and the people are astonished at his doctrine. You know, the, the thing that makes the difference in victory and defeat, between victory and defeat, is how you answer questions. If the road the devil travels, the only road the devil travels is deception then he wants more than anything else 
to get you to believe a lie or a half-truth. When Jesus was tempted of the devil, each time the devil brought his temptation, Jesus answered by quoting the word of God. The questions that the devil raised, Jesus answered with the truth of the Bible, the truth of Scripture. It works the same way with us. The devil always comes, and whatever his deception is about, whatever lie he's telling, it's always presented in the form of a question. Because the devil's trying to get you to take a bite of what he's offering. And it's up to you whether you choose to accept the deception or reject it by the proclaiming of God's word. That's what Jesus did. Jesus simply answered the devil's questions with the word of God. So he resisted deception by the speaking of the word. But when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified God which had given such power unto men. One of the things that the Lord's been dealing with me about has to do with my own experience with sickness and disease. In 2011, I began to experience tremors and shaking in my body and I couldn't control it when it came and it didn't come gradually it came and hit me like a runaway truck I didn't know what it was and at that point I really didn't care what it was I spoke the word of God and took authority over it but it didn't cease I commanded it to stop and it didn't stop. I didn't do too much with it. I didn't tell anybody about it. Of course, you didn't have to tell somebody to recognize that it's taking place. And I finally went to the doctor, a neurologist, in 2012 
about a year after it happened. And during that first year, there were all kinds of things that the devil would bring to my attention. There were all kinds of questions that he brought to me. Many of them I had the answer for already through the knowledge of the word. But there were sometimes when the, a question was asked and I didn't really know how to answer it. So I just began to praise God. And in every one of those times, during that time of praising God, the Lord brought me the answer. And I was able to answer the devil's question. During that first year, well, really in the first and the second year, there were other symptoms that would pop up. And they would, they would come like machine gun bullets. I mean, all of a sudden, things had just changed. And one thing that took place, I didn't know too much about, uh, well, it was diagnosed in 2012 as Parkinson's. I didn't know too much about it. I looked some things up in, on the internet and I found that that could, could be a mixed bag of things. But one of the things that I began to deal with from the beginning is I had to learn to breathe. I'm not sure the technical part of it, how or why it affects your voice. But I would come to church after having prepared myself, having a message ready. And when I'd stand in the pulpit, I'd realize that I had to concentrate on breathing. Breathing is an involuntary action But all of a sudden, my breathing isn't involuntary any longer. So I had to learn to teach myself or focus on breathing. It's hard to remember your next scripture you want to go to when you're taking your time trying to breathe. So it hung around I'm going to say about six months. I didn't write any of these things down. I really don't know some of the particulars of what went when because it seemed like from week to week I was either dealing with something that had previously come, come against me or something new 
But one day, I was in the middle of a sermon and I realized I wasn't focusing on having to focus on my breathing. Exodus 23, verse 25 says, God is speaking to his people. It says, and you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and water and take sickness from the midst of thee. The word midst means to turn off. Like you turn off a light switch. So a word is used in the Bible before they ever had any electrical appliances or or uses. But it literally means to turn off. Well, that breathing, the situation with the breathing just turned off. Just as it came without warning and was there, it left without any visible circumstance or, or condition that I know of anyway. Throughout these years, it's been since 2011, there are times when the devil has come and questions whether I thought my faith was strong enough to handle this. And I've always reminded him that it was strong enough to take care of the symptom where I couldn't breathe. I had to change my breathing style. If my faith wasn't working, then that wouldn't have gone away, would it? So I can't look at my situation now and question my faith because I've seen it work on so many things, so many symptoms, adverse circumstances. God's been faithful start to finish. But I like that about Exodus 23. He will take sickness away from the midst of thee. He'll turn sickness off. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men, which had given authority to mankind. 
about a year ago, coming up on the 24th of February, the devil attacked me with a stroke. I spent a couple of weeks in the hospital and then I began very soon thereafter to experience therapy. I had a physical therapist. I had a speech therapist. And I think the therapy went for about six months maybe a little bit more than six months. And during that time, they would put me through a regimen of tests and exercises and so forth. The physical therapy was pretty straightforward. It had things to do with balance and such. But the speech therapy was a little different. The speech therapy was put me through a system of tests. They would uh, test my the function of my brain. And I was pretty hard on the speech therapist. I went through two or three of them before I got to one that I could work with. Because part of the method that was used had to do with simple things and really wasn't any fault of their own. It was just different. For me, it was different than anything I'd ever done. The simplicity I'm talking about is she tried to encourage me to just make notes about what I'm, I'm preaching about or what I wanna say. I've never used a note in my life. Don't know how to use notes. And to use notes seemed to me to be a, in one way accepting what the devil had brought against me as being the way that I'm going to have to operate now. And so I wouldn't make notes and she got frustrated, and I was frustrated. So we just decided not to use her as a therapist anymore. <laughs> and after about six months or so, they had a gathering with, between uh, the group of therapists that they had assigned to me And the consensus was 
that they had done for me in therapy pretty much all that could be done. When the stroke occurred, that was the beginning point for testing the, the logical utilization of my brain. And they basically said that they had done all that they could do for me. But there were still other symptoms which seemed to me to be stroke related. I have been diagnosed with a progressive disease. But there's one thing to keep in mind about that. Now, folks, that's just a fact. The fact is they've diagnosed me with Parkinson's, which is a progressive disease, which means the shaking and the tremors are supposed to get worse, which means the, the difficulty in breathing is supposed to get more difficult. where the use of my brain and the connection to the, my speech, which is kind of an important part of what I do, those things have not progressed. In fact, they've decreased little by little And one of the therapists said, said it to me this way. He said, we've taken you as far as we can and we've evaluated you, scored you on different types of tests and activities and so forth. And he said, we can show you that your symptoms and your progress has has failed to increase they said the the logic tests and so forth, I was, I scored on those tests higher than 95% of the people that they have records of in not only the ability to do the, the test, but also the speed in which I do them. And that's what's really bugged me about this. I feel myself, I feel the, the slowness. And it wasn't like that before. So he told me, he said, we've got two things to measure you against. One is the data of others that have taken these tests and how they've 
scored on it. In that, you're above 95% of the people that have ever taken the test. He said, but there's something else that's going on too. He said, the frustration you feel is not because you failed the test or have been too slow in the taking of the test. He said, the second thing you are working with or working against is you comparing yourself now to what you were before. And he was talking about the stroke, not the Parkinson's. Now, I hope nobody gets upset and think that I'm turning away from the word or turning away from my faith, being the, the receiving of what I'm looking for. So I've got a progressive disease that's not progressing. And I've got a stroke that the doctors and the therapists have declared has no residual damage. I must have really been fast. <laughs> I've always been, had people that would complain that I was talking so fast that they couldn't keep up. Yeah. Well, you're able to keep up now. <laughs> One thing I found as a consequence of my speed or lack thereof, my family has to listen to catch the end of my sentences. I'm in a, live in a household where everybody else answers their or finishes their sentences. Nobody's finishing mine. <laughs> I wish I could tell you what was the end result of so many things that I prayed for or just simply spoken, taken authority over and commanded it to leave. And I've had miraculous results. But it's just not time for everything to be said. One thing the Bible declares is that God will give you back and restore 
what the locust has eaten, the years of bondage. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them how to hold authority and not as the scribes. Thank God for his word. What would we do without his word? There's no way to know God without his word. There's no way to fellowship with God apart from his word. came to pass when Jesus had ended these things the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them how to hold authority and not as the scribes how to hold authority the sower sowing the word parable tells us that we hold or exercise authority through our words through the words that we speak Father, we worship you. We magnify your holy name, Jesus. We take authority over sickness and disease. We command it to leave the people of this church. We command our bodies to be healed. Lord, we worship you. I thank you, Lord, for restoring to me the years that the locust has eaten. I declare, Father, as I have spoken to you about that my condition will be such as if you didn't know that something had happened before, you would never know. Father, in Luke chapter 13, 
when the woman that was bowed over and could no, in no wise lift up herself, when she came to the synagogue where Jesus was, Jesus asked the Pharisees, Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Father, we see that the blessing of Abraham, which includes healing for the physical body, is grounds for us to claim our healing. Which we do now. Sickness, we remind you, you've been commanded to go. Bless you, Lord. We refuse to allow sickness and disease to remain on our body. Thank you, Lord, that you bless our bread and water and you take sickness away from the midst of us. We thank you for turning off sickness and disease because we have the switch of faith turned on. Father, you know the situations of the people in your in this church. You know the fights we're fighting. I thank you for liber- delivering us, Father, because you said because we set our love upon you, you will deliver us. You said that you would redeem our lives from destruction. You said, Lord, that this is the day that you lift the burden from our shoulders and take the yoke off our neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. We claim the anointing that breaks the yoke of sickness and disease. Father, we thank you that the truth is that Christ redeems us from the curse of the law. The facts which may exist in our flesh don't are no match for the overcoming power of the word of God spoken by us. Father, I thank you that I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I thank you that the gifts and the calling of God which are without repentance increase in these last days. 
We thank you, Father, for the yoke that destroys the anointing. The anointing that destroys the yoke of sickness and disease. You taught us, Lord, that we have been given authority. So we declare that we are redeemed, our sin is forgiven, and healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that these things are true. They may not be factual at this moment, but they are true. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We are healed by his stripes. We trust you, Father. We thank you that you watch over your word to perform it. Restore unto me what was lost. something I want I want to be restored back in such a condition like I said before that if you didn't know and hadn't seen it that you wouldn't know that it was there I, I'm looking forward to making fun of this stuff I mean that I am looking forward to at the devil's work. Bless you, Lord. about your situation. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Ha, ha, ha. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. 
Glory to Jesus. Ha, ha, ha. One more time. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Look at it. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, one more time. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Ha, ha, ha. Hallelujah. 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 Ha ha ha. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, I've done a lot of laughing at this thing when I'm by myself. I've danced myself happy when I'm alone. The fact is that there's still an impairment, but the truth is I've been delivered from it. Yeah. I always answer questions, the questions the devil brings. I always answer those with the word, the truth, not just facts. If the devil can keep you in the facts realm, then he'll defeat you. But if you bring him into the spirit realm and answer based on what God's word says, he'll leave pretty quick. Say it with me, the Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. I hope this didn't come out the wrong way. Because I've only had God's word from this, from the beginning of this thing. And that's all I have now. 
And that's more than enough.